Absolutely. So I talk to people and I say, remember that your thoughts and your beliefs influence your brain neurochemistry. Even if you're going through trauma, let the emotions out and then think, what is one thing I can do that will come across as either neutral or positive for my brain chemistry so I don't stay stuck? And that's what I try doing whenever I'm down and I'm really struggling with something. Okay, what is one thing I can do that allows me to move forward? Even if my feet are digging in, my heels are digging in and not wanting to move forward, I still take that next step because I don't want to stay in this current state of trauma that I'm in. So just keep moving forward one step at a time, one breath at a time. You can make the changes. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, 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 this is time and again. Welcome to, to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. I'm Dr. James Perdue, the professor of doctor, the professor of doctor, the professor of perseverance himself. Here, hold on a second. Let me spit all this stuff out so we can get going. All right. Today's topic. Hey, we talk about overcoming adversity. What has someone done to get over their trials and tribulations and to provide help, hope, to show people that it's capable to have a great life? So today's topic is talking about parenting, an abusive parent situation. What happens when you've grown up, raised in a uh, an abusive relationship, and then how do you overcome and succeed in life? The guest today is Dr. Amy Novotny. There we go. Dr. Amy Novotny. So um, she has uh, co-authored a best-selling book called Don't Quit, and it's stories of persistence, courage, and faith. Success habits of super achievers. So, Doc... Come on in. Hello, Professor James. Thanks so much for having me on today. I'm very excited to be here and to share with your audience and help in any way I can. Oh, we appreciate you being here. And uh, I don't 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 worry about all this professionalism stuff because uh, I'm not a professional at this podcasting, mm-hmm. but I'm working on getting better. And who knows, yeah. we'll get a check one day, right? Is that Absolutely. What we on? There we yeah. go. So, but the main thing is helping helping other people. You yeah. know. And a lot of the topics that we, different topics we talk about, a lot of uh, what what I've come to learn, a lot of these situations are very uh, a variety differences, but they're the messages of overcoming is pretty much the same. So that the, to show people consistency will over trump tragedies. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Doc, and so you got a doctorate, a doctor in a therapeutic, isn't it? Therapy in physical therapy. Yes, I got my doctorate in physical therapy, and um, from there I started practicing physical therapy and helping clients and patients for about five years before I transitioned into something different, a different kind of modality that I developed to help people get out of pain, stress, anxiety, out of orthopedic surgeries, out of sleep issues, off of medication. So it's a completely different thing that I do now from traditional physical therapy. 
And again, I'm a spinal cord injury. I could use a good leg stretching. <laughs> Man, those, those are so great. So, yeah. well, again, we're glad you're here, Amy, and appreciate it. And so let's uh, just go ahead and jump on in. Parental abuse. And mm-hmm. this is going to be a tough topic for a lot of people. Uh, I, I can admit that uh, I didn't go through an abusive. Uh, my dad busted my butt when I needed it. And all of a sudden he turned around and hugged and loved me when I mm-hmm. needed it. So yeah. I can't say, and same thing with mom. Of course, mom, she didn't bust my butt as much as go wait till your dad come home, you know, but they were both there to love me when I needed it and they disciplined when I needed it. So I can't say that I've been on that far extreme that uh, you're going to talk about. So yeah. if you're going to give us the Reader's Digest here and we'll go from here. Well, first I'd like to start off, you know, we all have kind of this journey through life and most of us try our best. And unfortunately there are influences from our past that really kind of guide us in making decisions, whether that's good or bad. And so my mom, I grew up with her and one of my brothers, he was a year older and we grew up the three of, you know, Aaron and I grew up alone with her and she was just bumbling through life. She, you know, started off fine when we were young kids, but then when I kind of got into my teenage years, she's kind of started doing some just different things. First, she started hoarding, and then it all became about control and how much she could control us. And I noticed it never knew which day that she was going to wake up happy, which day she was going to wake up mad, which day she was going to wake up sad. There was just this fluctuation of emotions all the time. And I didn't know if it was related to her past or what what it was. And just growing up, I, you know, I tried to be as best as I could. I tried to be perfect and everything so that she would never get mad at me. And of course, you know, that doesn't work. That never works for anyone. But, you know, I did the best that I could. And when I was in high school, ninth grade, she decided all of a sudden she wanted to go to college and get a college degree. She had done high school and then she didn't continue on beyond that. So at the time, you know, I was very close to her and I wanted to help her succeed. So I said, you know, I'll help tutor you. So that meant when she did her classes during the day, when she came home, she didn't really retain much of what was taught because her level of education was so drastically different than most high school kids coming out and going into college. So I sat down, read through all of her material, and then spent six to eight hours tutoring every night and then stayed up later to do my own work. So a lot of times I didn't get sleep or got one or two hours of sleep, but it allowed me to help her and I got very close to her. And so I could see these mood swings. I could see, you know, all she wanted is control because she didn't feel like she had control over something. So eventually we got her through a bachelor degrees and two masters and I had to make my escape. I planned to go study abroad. So I knew I could get away from her and then I wouldn't return home. And sure enough, I did. When I came back, she kicked me out for leaving and, even when I had left to go study in France, she called me up within a couple days and threatened suicide and said, if I didn't come home, she's going to kill herself. So it was, I knew the height of her mental illness. She other did other things too that, you know, she got arrested for just various different things that showed that there wasn't, there wasn't any stability in her head. And so after I came back, you know, I graduated college And things became so difficult that I had to sever my relationship with her. I couldn't handle talking to her. Um, She had grabbed me and said some awful things like, you should never be, you should have never been born. You the cause of all my health problems and you need to pay me back for raising you. So I severed it for about nine years until I found out she was terminally ill with cancer. And at that point, I, you know, I realized, okay, 
no matter what happened in the past, I need to be there for her. And so within a week of seeing her again, she had moved into my house with hospice care. And so I was taking care of her morning and night with hospice stopping in during the daytime. And she was in a hospital bed, you know, going through this cancer. And so that lasted for a couple months until it beca she became too combative and just kind of some things were going on that we put her in a facility where they could monitor her 24 seven. And so during that time that I was caring for her, the abuse started all over again, you know, quite literally treating me as if I was a slave, do this, do this, do this. She would purposely drop things on the floor to make me pick it up and then, um, you know, scream at me, just different things. And it, it tested my patience. And I realized that there was going to be a terminal end of her life coming up soon. So I tried to do it with patience. And it obviously, you know, it affected me as well. But Eventually, you know, her time came to the end and she passed away on my birthday. And during that, those last few moments, I did have some good words with her. And I said, I understand you were abused in every way possible growing up. I understand that you did the best that you could under the emotions and the neurochemistry you have in your brain. I, I understand that. I know that you want the good things for me. And I told her I loved her. I told her her sons love her. And she passed away, um, you know, with me saying those words and holding my hand. So it it was a traumatic experience and I know that influences me today. And I have a patience with people that I probably shouldn't have, or maybe people wouldn't have, especially when it comes to mental abuse. I often take on more than I should at times. And I know that's influenced, you know, current events in my life as well, but I do believe there's good in people, no matter what actions that they show and present. And sometimes we have to look pretty hard for that, goodness shining light uh into people sometimes mm -hmm. we have to look pretty hard now yeah. do you think do you think um do you think she was so controlling of you because she felt she didn't have control of her own life so this was a way of controlling something someone yeah. she was out of control from everything that's going on when she grew up throughout life Again, not the greatest education until you, you know, you tutored her. But again, yeah. because she felt the lack of control of her own life, she felt she can really control you. And that gave her that grasp. I think it's partly that that she was abused really, really young. So she lost some control over her own body at that point. And then having that, becoming a victim of that and a survivor of that, it then turned into she didn't want me to make the same mistakes that she did because she didn't make some choices to have a child, you know, out of, you know, she got pregnant and then got married. So there were some choices that she made that led to changes in her life that she felt like she didn't have control over, even though ultimately she did have some control over that. So she also had a victim mentality in terms of she didn't take personal responsibility for her actions for quite a bit of things that she did. And I don't know if part of that was because she was traumatized so early on. Um, the other thing is when she was on hospice care, hospice confirmed that she was at minimum bipolar, if not also borderline personality disorder. So there was definitely some mental health issues going alongside that. And so I take everything with a grain of salt. I realized that we don't know the struggles another person's having. And it's not you know, it's not our responsibility to judge. And sometimes they're going through stuff that they don't feel comfortable sharing. 
So I try to base my interactions with people on how they show up, but I also keep that in the back of the mind that this might be not truly them and how they feel. Bird, appreciate you coming in, Bird. He says, hurting people, uh, hurting people hurt others. And mm -hmm. he's saying your grace yep. and mercy are beautiful. Thank you, Bird, for coming thank in you. and thank you for the good word. Bird's a good one there. So, um, all right. And so now um, I was going to, I was going to suggest or ask about bipolar. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think about the personality dys dysfunction, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I was thinking about the bipolar is what I was thinking yeah. uh, from there. Now, your abusive relationship is more mental and emotional, wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. physical or was no, there physical with it? She did stuff when we were younger, you know, she took, you know, wooden paddleboard and swatted us and stuff like that. And she's grabbed me a few times, but nothing, nothing that I would say like where kids have physical or sexual abuse, nothing like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah Cause I, I was telling you before we got started that uh, I, I can't say that I was in a family like you're talking it with your mom yeah. at the moment. Cause I told you my dad busted my butt when I needed it and, <laughs> yeah. and don't, and don't get me wrong. I needed it. Mm -hmm. But he also put his arm around, loved me when I needed it. Same thing. Same, you know, like I said, with my mom, it wouldn't it? She bust me as much as she'd say, wait till your father comes home. But she was there mm -hmm. as, as to show the loving as well. So, yeah. so yours is to be more mentally mm -hmm. and, and, and emotionally yeah. uh, from there. So, yeah. wow. What? Because you already knew your mother, how she was and everything before mm -hmm. going to France to study abroad. When she made the comment two days later, well, you're not here. I'm committing suicide unless you mm -hmm. come home. Well, I mean, do you, do you think, Oh, that's just you blowing off steam or do you go, do I go home? I mean, yeah. cause you didn't say you left. So yeah. uh, did you take the risk and say, I, I can't do anything to help you. I got to take care of my life. I mean, I mean, that's, that had been tough when she threatened that overseas. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was, she was already really upset with me that I was leaving and she, she wouldn't even go to the airport with me and say goodbye. And this is the first time I'd ever left the country. So I was terrified. I was also sick at the time. I had a really bad flu flying overseas with the flu was not fun. Um, and I was scared. I was scared, but I was, I was so firm in not going back and not catering to her. I didn't know the extent of her mental illness at that point. I knew there were some kooky things going on, but I didn't know the extent of it. So I did call a friend and I said, Hey, can you please call and check on her? Can you please like, do something? And so he did, he called her and I, I think he even tried to go over there and check on her. I can't remember the full details, but um, obviously she didn't do anything at that point. And she simmered down, um, but it was, it was still hard. It was back in 2003 when cell phones were just on the newer side. So it wasn't like I could chat with her or text with her. Um, it was once, you know, a week I would call. Things were expensive. And coming from a background with no money, I didn't have, you know, the freedom just to call and just chat for hours on end. It was, hey, I have five minutes. I can talk to you. So, um, so yeah, she... I, she didn't do anything. It was more of a threat. It was more of her hormones being off and feeling desperate and the loss of control. The, and I was going to ask a question and this popped up, love the penguins on the wall, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Thank Amy. You. So, Thank you. And 
before we got started, she says, we got to get the penguins on. People like seeing the penguins. Yeah, so, they so do. She said that. So here it is. She was correct. Mm -hmm. There's a penguin lover. Thank you for coming in. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is when you decided to cut ties off with mom, mm -hmm. how long was that before you were able to come back? And did you come back because she was on her deathbed whatnot mm -hmm. uh is that why you came back mm -hmm. you know yeah. uh, how long in between when you cut it off was silent it was nine years nine years i didn't talk to her um a lot had happened in my life and i got my doctorate during that time and i had moved out of the state then came back to the state so um yep i got the i got a text from one of my brothers saying on april fool's day um that she was dying of cancer. I didn't believe it. I was like, yeah, no, there's no way you would text me that on April Fool's Day. Oh, you would April text me Fool's about Day. that. Yes, right. On yeah, April I was like, Fool's good Day. one, good one. And I'm like, you would call me. He's like, uh, shoot, uh, no, this is true. So, yeah, so it was quite shocking to find out. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty bad. I mean, one of my brothers hadn't talked to her in 15 years. The brother who texted me went five years and then only talked to her once a year. So, the pattern of her behavior affected us all. And so all of us kind of pulled away just because we couldn't handle, handle, you know, being put down so often and told everything about you is wrong. It's, it's really damaging to your ego. And not that we want to have, you know, a boisterous, strong ego, but that it's hard to, when you don't have support from the person that you want support the most from, it's hard to build from there. And so I just had to step away from that. It was the only way I could save myself. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so it's during all this, it wasn't just you. So it was all the children that she mm -hmm. was. It wasn't yeah. like she kept that you were the favorite. So she put everything off on you. It was equally pretty much uh, distributed. Kind of. I was the favorite. Um, and sh she did. I had more patience than my one brother. So at times I said, I just, I can't tutor you anymore. Get help from my brother, my one of my brothers that was living with us. And she would try, but she didn't, he didn't have as much patience and he didn't, she didn't like the way he taught her. So then she came back to me. And so it's, I think it was because I'm a girl and the other two were boys. She just resonated with me and she was abused, but you know, by a man. So she had this thing with guys and I know she loved both my brothers. I know that. And I don't think she intentionally made me a favorite, but it came across that way to one of my brothers. And, and I deeply regret that it was just, I knew the only way to save us was to actually get her a degree so that she would not be controlling both of us. And so the only the way to do that was to tutor her, to get her to that next step, because otherwise it would be, you know, just a long road process, which it already was, but it would have been even worse if she didn't have a degree and a way to take care of herself. Mm -hmm. Um, had a question. Had a question. <laughs> had one. What was that? I was going. Oh, was I don't know. Forget. I forgot. I got this some timers going on. So, um, well, help me out, Amy. What was that question? Don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Maybe I think. Maybe I'm thinking of a good leg stretching again. Maybe. So <laughs> yeah. maybe that's it. Um. Yeah. Now, oh, now I got the question. Here it is. Here's the question. Yeah. In the nine years, and in the nine years that that uh, you were straight from from mom, did mm -hmm. mom ever try to reach out to you, and you just ignored it? No, I mean, a no. text or cell phone. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming she didn't know where you lived to send a letter. 
but she never reached out as well. No, she didn't. No. All right. Now, when you ever fool's day, when you finally get that mother's dying of cancer, you finally mm -hmm. realize it's not a cruel joke or yeah. just a joke of any type mm -hmm. uh, at that time. So we finally got the realization that this is going on. And you come back to help mother, mm -hmm. help yeah. take care of her. Yep. There had to been a lot of what I call simple pride swallowing for you to come back. And, and did you go back with the attitude of forgiveness? Oh, absolutely. Or did you just go back with the attitude? Someone needs to help take care of mom. I know the, the, the two brothers are not going to do as much as I can. So I will, mm -hmm. or, you know, forgiveness yeah. involved with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I went back and I was, I mean, I was in tears. I was crying. I said, I'm so sorry. You know, what can I do? I, I was genuine. I, I have a tendency to forgive people very quickly. Um, if I can understand their background and what led to the decisions that they made, I don't like to hold on to things. And sometimes that can bite me in the butt. I understand that. But for me, if I can sleep better at the end of the day because I've forgiven someone and I realize that their actions are their actions, but that doesn't define them, then I can move on from it. And so I, that's how I approached her. I went back, said, what can I do? How can I help? What do you need? How can I be there for you? How can I spend time with you? And I just showed up and I was ready to go. You know, to have that forgiveness come back, I mean, that's a, that's a big person, big person to come back and do that. I know you weren't doing it to go look at me. I'm forgiving no. you. You know, I know it wasn't any of that. It was a child still, still a child loving mom and, yeah. a different, you know, maybe not as like it normally could be, but still, and coming in to help out. Um, I just would feel bad and kind of do right now a little bit that this would have been a great opportunity for mom to take some accountability and say, I know I was rough with you. I know I was rough with all of you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And then she didn't even do that. She did actually say sorry well, she for did. treating. She did do. Okay, she okay, did do that okay. initially. She said, "I'm sorry for treating you horribly." She didn't know how not to though. She yeah, actually yeah, yeah. apologized. She said, "You know, I said things I never should have said. I'm really sorry about that." As soon as she came to live with me, she started doing things all over again. So. I don't know if she had the mental ability to stop herself or at least pause, be aware of her actions and to correct them. It, it's a skill that's sometimes hard for people. And there's plenty of times where I know, okay, next time I'm not going to react that way. And boom, that same thing happens. Boop, I re react that way. And so it does take practice. And she didn't have the practice because she isolated so many people from her life. She didn't have that practice of social interaction and really learning from her mistakes and trying something different. And she just wasn't aware of it. So I don't, again, I don't blame her. It is what it is. And I've moved on, you know, I forgive her and yeah. move on. Well, yeah. And it goes, goes back to the mental illness and the yeah. bipolar and personality disorder. So from there, and it's, it's hard pill to swallow. Yeah. So, but Obviously, you did swallow that huge pill, all right, mm -hmm. going in, again, forgiving mother. And I'm glad yeah. to hear that she did take on some accountability. That's great. And yeah. again, like you said, not. And I don't think, like you said, she knew how to correct it that late in, in the game. So mm -hmm. 
Now, let's, let's talk about how you were able to move on. What mm-hmm. gave you the strength? What gave you the powerful, positive mindset? I mean, I know you said you had to get out of the country to get away from the situation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't getting out of the next state. It wasn't getting out of, it was getting out of the whole country. Yeah. So yeah. what, what, what do you think gave you the mentality to know I got to do something different or I might end up being like my own mother? Because I, I saw what was going on. And I saw that she had control over me. So I knew I had to make a drastic change. It couldn't be just going to college somewhere in the States. She'd follow me. So I knew if I went to another country, she's not going to follow me to another country, especially in a study abroad program. So I did that. And then when I got back, I knew I was going to be changed enough that I could, um, that she was going to kick me out and I could start my life anew. And so it's basically what I did. Then I went off and I got my doctorate and then you know, I started my life over. And around the time that she passed away, I started going into looking into ways of healing and calming down that fight or flight nervous system. So I started focusing on how can I change my body position? So my body position is not in set in fight or flight mode. And how does my breathing relate to that? And how can I change my breathing? So it's a calming influence on me too. And so as I put this process together and I started working on people and getting people out of chronic pain, um, getting people out of major surgeries, changing people who had neurological conditions, they got function they didn't have before. As I started going through this process, I also realized there was a healing component in myself and I could feel the stress of everything I had just gone through with my mom, you know, living in my house, a hospice, a passing. I could feel that start to go away. And I realized that I was freeing myself from a lot of that emotional baggage that had been stuck in my body. So then I started working with other people and teaching them that because I, you know, I love people. I love life. I love helping people. And so if I can get them to shift and realize that there's so much power in their body to change that fight or flight nervous system and to get them to relax, wow, I could really make an impact. So maybe they use less medications. They can avoid a surgery. They can participate more in their life. And so that's what my purpose and mission became about. And it got you to found it. What? What did you found? <laughs> it's called the Pabert Institute. It stands for Pain Awareness Breathing Relief. There you go. And you go to her website is, uh, mm-hmm. what, what is it? Pabert Institute? Yep. Dot com. com. Yep. Dot com. Absolutely. Yep. And P-A-B-R. I'll put P-A-B-R-Institute.com. And yep. I'll put that in the description below so you can go check it out. And my man, Bird. Hey, Bird, I'm going to tell you, Bird, my book's about done. I'm ready to get you a copy here in the next couple of weeks, probably. Uh, so, hey, uh, Bird says, uh, Dr. Amy, you're an inspiration, an example of this part of the serenity prayer, accepting hardship mm-hmm. as the pathway to peace. So That's really nice of him to say that. Bird, bird's, a, bird's a good one. So I want to I want to grow up and be just like Bird. So, <laughs> all right. So now, all right, now, so you founded this institute and you found other ways, you know, to help people. Co-author of the book again, what was that book? Uh, Don't Quit, Stories of Persistent Courage and Faith. Mm-hmm. So anyone else can go check out that book as well. And we'll put a link down in the description to go find it. So thank you. Yeah. How long have you been doing this part of your work now? So since 2014, since she passed, I started doing that. And then when in 2018, I became very known for what I do. I was working for a clinic and people started flying in from around the country to come see me to get them out of major surgeries. 
And so at that point, a gentleman photographer came and he was scheduled for a knee replacement. He wanted to get out of it. So he came, saw me, got rid of his pain, went back to where he lived. And then he tripped and slipped on some water and busted up his shoulder. Couldn't lift his arm, you know, past his waist. And so I said, well, come on back. We'll get you going. And he had an MRI, showed a rotator cuff tear, biceps involvement, all that. And by the time he left, he could reach his arm up overhead again, even though everyone indicated that he needed surgery. And I said, we just need to keep your fight or flight nervous system calm and under control. And he said, I have these huge trips all over the world. I need help. Can I hire you? I don't want to do surgeries. It's going to ruin all these trips that I already paid for, already had planned. I said, okay, you can hire me. And then I'll, you know, I'm a photographer as well. So I'll go around and I'll coach you a couple times a day and then just travel and keep you pain-free. And so I did that for about six months, gave up my whole entire life house, job, everything. And then we ended in Antarctica, where those of you can see the penguin photos. That's where I did those photos and took them. And then I came back and I started the Paber Institute. And I realized working in a clinic for someone else will not give me the great reach that I want to achieve and to teach people. So I need to get out there and start start my own practice, start speaking on, you know, podcast, I start I started speaking in different masterminds and conferences and webinars. And so now I work with people all over the world virtually. I help people and I record the session. So as we're working together, I'm teaching them things and I'm having their body go in different positions or practicing this breathing technique and movements. And so they have a recording of it that they can practice. So each time we meet, we're progressing forward because I want to give them this information and it's it's all customized to each person's body. So we just progress them. And then from there, we move on. And so I also speak, uh, I've spoken to corporate events. I mean, done many, many different things. So things have really blossomed and I'm very grateful for all the opportunities and very honored when people choose to work with me. Doesn't it feel great when you found your purpose yeah. in life? Doesn't it feel great? Yeah. Cause I still, I, I'm a little older than you. I'm over, I'm nearly 56. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I got a friend that we grew up together and uh, he's still yet to find his purpose and he's 56 yeah. years old. And so, uh, yeah, he still doesn't have his purpose, but yeah. you know, not everybody can uh, figure it out. We said, and, and what's about him is it's not too late. You know, you still mm-hmm. find something and spend the next 20 years on and still have a good life. Absolutely. So, you, you know, the, just the, the sooner you find it, the better, longer yeah. life you have, <laughs> good life uh, yeah. than late. So, yes. so I'm glad, glad you've been here. And again, I've talked to other people other about and whatever your purpose is today may not be 20 years from now. Exactly. So, you know, yep. for example, you know, example, um, when I had my spinal cord injury, my purpose changed dramatically mm-hmm. in, yeah. in areas. So, you know, so, so whatever you're going at today, that's cool. Have fun with it, make a living at it. Do great to help other people. And if it changes, it changes. If it stays mm-hmm. throughout your life, that's awesome as well. Now, yep. how did you be able to maintain with the, uh, especially with the mental and the emotional abuse and everything, how are you able to maintain this positivity that I know I've got to do something to get out? You know, because yeah. you could have easily gone, I know I need to get something to get out. Dang, damn it. Mm-hmm. I, I got to go all the way across the daggum ocean for me to yeah. get away. I mean, but you seem to be a positive person mm-hmm. uh, through, well, all, through uh, uh, most of this. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if I, I saw that she 
made decisions based on what was done to her as a kid. I didn't want to follow in those footsteps. So I didn't want to blame everything on her, even though I know there's influences that are kind of ingrained in our subconscious and all that. I want to be aware of that and try to make decisions on how can I look forward? What is my vision for my future? How can I make a change? And what are my interests? I love people. I love culture. I love languages. I love traveling. I didn't ever get a chance to do that, but I just knew that was innate in me. And so why not take a chance, go do something new, even though I was terrified? Why not just go explore? The worst thing that could happen to me is I would die. It didn't happen though. And I met some amazing people who I'm still friends with today. And I had this great experience and, you know, it really helped me grow up. So even now there are days that bad days, just like everyone else. But I let myself have those bad days. And I try to pull sometimes, you know, I try to pull myself out. Okay, what, what was good? How can I just take take one step forward? And sometimes it means just doing something for someone else. Even if I'm hurting, even if I'm sad is I just got to get involved with helping someone else because it takes my mind off of the thing that I'm sad about, which will affect my neurochemistry. And if I can shift it into my energy pouring into someone else, that's going to affect my energy, my neurochemistry for the better. We're going to have bad days. So even when you're positive, the most positive person, just like my man Bird is the most positive person around, you're going to have mm-hmm. those days where life's going to kick you into teeth. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think it's good, not that we want to have bad days, but I think it's good for us to reminisce on where we were and how far we've come in life. And again, I and I'm no I could be totally wrong with this next statement, but I believe one reason we go through trials and tribulations through our lifetime is to prove how strong we really are. If we didn't yeah. face these challenges, we'd be so content laying around doing nothing, you know, and, and moving around. But when we realize we can break through something, mm-hmm. then we're stronger for the next thing that comes in life. Absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. And luckily, I have very good, kind friends and support system who've helped me through a lot of bad stuff. And I let them know I appreciate them. I'm forever grateful. And, you know, it just it's a learning process. We're constantly growing. And as long as we're growing, we're living. We can get through situations by ourselves. It would be mm-hmm. harder. It may take longer. But when you have that support system, whether it's a family, Mm -hmm. friends, uh, your occasional friend that come in your life for three weeks and gone forever, or the people who's been with you for 40 years, uh, you know, it just makes things a lot easier when you know you got that support group that's going to help you along as well. You know, old Batman had Robin. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, who? who, uh, Oh, she too. Tonto and... Oh, oh, you're beyond me. I wasn't yeah, watching all those yeah. things. Oh, who is, come on, bird, hit me out. Who was Tonto? The Long Ranger. There you go. Long yeah. Ranger had Tonto. So yeah. you know, they work in pairs and help each other. So Amy, again, Dr. Amy, appreciate you being here and sharing your story. And yet you. you're going to, you're going to bless somebody that's going to stumble across this YouTube channel one day. And so we'll get this up on the podcast as well. So Wonderful. now, you know, as well as I do, there's people struggling and something going on today. If you can leave us with a powerful message to help us get to help them get through, help me get through today. Absolutely. So I talk to people and I say, remember that your thoughts and your beliefs influence your brain neurochemistry. Even if you're going through trauma, let the emotions out and then think, what is one thing I can do 
that will come across as either neutral or positive for my brain chemistry so I don't stay stuck. And that's what I try doing whenever I'm down and I'm really struggling with something. Okay, what is one thing I can do that allows me to move forward? Even if my feet are digging in, my heels are digging in and not wanting to move forward, I still take that next step because I don't want to stay in this current state of trauma that I'm in. So just keep moving forward one step at a time, one breath at a time. You can make the changes. Amen, sister. One step at a time, one minute at a time, move mm -hmm. forward. I don't care if you're moving at a snail's pace as long as you're going forward. Yeah. So I like um, a minute ago you said that uh, when you're down and out and you're having trouble times, one thing you like to do is find somebody you can help that helps boost you back up again. And that, that's that's with me. When I'm having a real bad day, then I want to get out of my house. I have a service dog, and everybody loves to play with Ricardo. And so I would just take him to the store just to watch people interact with him. It boosts my performance from watching how he is able to give and bless other people. All right, everybody. Hey, Bird, thank you for coming in. And Eagle VP, thank you for coming in. Anybody else coming in on the replay, thank you all for this. And be sure to share this out. Find, you know, you, you know somebody's hurting. Find someone that can use some inspiration, motivation, some advice, some tips to move forward in life. We have differences on what we're struggling through, but a lot of messages are pretty much the same. So, Amy, thank you again. I know you've got to run as much as we got to run. And everybody else, you can go to theprofessorofperseverance.com. Check out other you know, things that's happening here. And for everyone else, do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.